Welcome to the Clinicians in Conversation podcast series, part of the NIHR, the National Institute for Health Research podcast programme. To find out more about how the NIHR supports research, please visit the NIHR website. I'm joined today by Sarah Blagden, who is Associate Professor of Experimental Cancer Therapeutics at the University of Oxford. Professor Blagden initially trained in Cambridge and London. She was then a consultant oncologist at Imperial College, where she led their Early Cancer Trials Unit before coming to the University of Oxford in 2015. She now leads their Early Phase Trials Unit and is running a number of national and international clinical studies for cancer patients. In addition, she heads up a laboratory looking at messenger RNA translation and cancer. She's also ECMC, or Experimental Cancer Medicine Centre, lead for Oxford. And she is also the co-lead of the recently published Consensus Statements on the Effective Delivery of Complex Innovative Design Cancer Trials. Professor Blagden, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Now, I mentioned in my introduction your roles not only in experimental cancer studies, but also the part you played in developing the paper outlining 10 consensus statements that guide the design and conduct of complex innovative design trials. So if I may, I would like to focus on that aspect of your current work. Can I begin then by asking you how such studies are impacting upon oncology? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been acknowledged for quite some time that the pathway of getting a a new medicine into the clinic is really slow. And I think the average is about 12 years. And that's that's talking about really from taking it from the end of preclinical testing all the way to registration. And it's also really expensive, not only in terms of finances, but also in terms of time, because every new agent, every new drug that's being developed has got to jump through the same hoops, a series, a succession of separate studies. So it's got to go through a phase one trial and then a separate phase two trial and then a separate one or two separate phase three trials. And the workload in setting that up and then closing down trial after trial is, is, is mind-boggling. And as you can imagine, that it's definitely extends the timeline. And things really were heightened when the immuno-oncology agents started to enter the clinical space. Um, we discovered that checkpoint inhibitors could actually you know, transform the care of, of cancer patients, even provide cures. And there's actually a backlog of these drugs waiting to be tested, but because they have to go through this process, it's going to take too long, really, to get them to patients. The only way we can really make a dent in this pathway, the only way we can speed up the delivery of drugs like the checkpoint inhibitors, is to rethink the whole trial process. And this is something that patients themselves have been lobbying for as well. If you think of, um, for example, Dane Tessa Jowell, who was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 2017, she commented at the time that she was completely shocked by the sort of lack of therapies or trials that were available to her. Um, so one way that we can beat the backlog is to design studies that actually ask multiple questions in one go, a bit like soldering together all those different phases, phases one, two, and three, but soldering them together in one single study design. And there are various trial designs you can do, you can use to achieve it. Um, this soldering mechanism. So you can, they're called adaptive umbrella modular. So we decided in this document really to talk about those trials, but umbrella all under one term, complex innovative trials or CID trials to describe them all. The consensus paper that I mentioned was published in January 2020. Can you tell us a little bit about the background to that? 
Why was it, you think, that it was needed? Well, there are lots of different agencies, for want of a better word, but, you know, people involved in running clinical trials. And there are, when you think about clinical trials, you think of patients and their doctors, but that's really the tip of the iceberg. Any, any studies, first of all, got to be approved by the MHRA, which is our regulatory authority. Um, it's got to go through HRA, Research Ethics, Hospital R&D. And in the UK also, we've got NICE that need to be happy with the data that the trials are generating in order to issue an approval. We've also got patient representatives and obviously the pharma industry itself. They all have an important stake in, in these studies. And although we tacitly agree that speeding up the trial process is a good idea, very few people have experience of actually running these studies, these complex, innovative design trials. And there are a lot of misconceptions about them. So in 2017, we got senior representatives really from all these different agencies and started to discuss how to run these trials. And the conversation proved to be really helpful. So we decided to put it together um, on paper as, as a set of guidelines or a set of consensus statements in the hope that it could sort of start a bigger conversation around these studies. What do you feel were the most important things to come out of the whole process for you in developing these consensus statements? I think the most important thing was to really hear the experiences of those who had set up and successfully run these types of studies before and and really discuss and unpick the problems that they'd encountered. And with everybody around the table, we were then able to discuss how those problems could be avoided in the future. So, for example, investigators said, well, there's just a huge number of amendments, major amendments that have to be filed during the course of one of these complex studies, you know, sometimes hundreds. And because we had the MHRA there, we were able to say, okay, let's put this in, let's try and resolve this in our in our consensus document by outlining some very clear guidance on how to word protocols to reduce the need for these amendments. Um, and that was successfully delivered as one of our consensus recommendations. We also had some new ideas about how patient information should look. So thinking about a three-part information pack, which minimized the information overload that can happen with these studies. And we made suggestions about training and education as well, which, which we hope will be adopted on the back of this, of this paper. We talked about sort of flexibility and changing principal investigators during the trial, which isn't traditionally done, but needs to be done for studies like this so that recruitment can, can continue at the same pace as it, as it moves from phase to phase into different specialties. And, and it became clear that these kind of studies are highly collaborative, and so normal professional boundaries need to be lifted in order for them to work. Can I ask how you see all of this developing do you think, say, that the UK can take a lead in this kind of clinical research? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think we're actually uniquely positioned, really, to be able to do these kind of studies because we're already working, you know, within the UK-wide health infrastructure, the NHS. And on top of that, the majority of the early phase trials in the UK are within working within a single operational network, um, which is the ECMC or the Experimental Cancer Medicine Centre Network. And that's funded in partnership by CRUK, the NIHR, and, and health departments of Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales. And we also, on top of that, have the NCRI network of tumour groups. So this sort of collaborative infrastructure is already in place and road-tested and working well. And we're lucky that our regulator, the MHRA, is very supportive of these studies. And we've got the support of the government as well, because they've got the life science industry strategy behind us. So... An important process of speeding up the drug development 
pathway is also thinking about speeding up the regulatory process at the other end. And so that's something that the life sciences industry strategy has been helping with because they're working with the government to establish the AAC or the Accelerated Access Committee. And that's really designed to find ways to fast track these most effective treatments once they've gone through our CID trials, through the regulatory process and, and into patients. So in answer to your question, I think the UK is ideally positioned to run CID studies. This is clearly an important new way of thinking about research studies. And I love your idea of soldering together the different phases of new therapeutic agent development. Professor Blagden, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me today. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like to know more, please contact enquiries at nihr.ac.uk